This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, innovation was on display at Aero Friedrichshafen. And aviators mourn a luminary. Also, border crossings are made easier. Commercial students have a new option. All right, Dave, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Have a 1056 turn right, heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, sky back. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And uh, David, you spoke with our guest this week, a really cool guy and a great conversation, uh, William Ampofo. Yes, William Ampofo is the Boeing Corporation's job forecasting guru, and he has a lot of great information for us, including you know good tips on how folks could get started in the aviation industry. Awesome. So yeah, big uh, big guy there who's... Got a big-time job at Boeing, and uh, so it's going to be a great talk. We'll look it is, to that. and we grabbed him well before the jobs forecast that will probably come out during AirVenture. So okay. this is kind of an AOPA exclusive. Very cool, very cool. Um, all right, so let's get right into this. I want to talk about Aero Friedrichshafen. Now, just because of the way we record and timing and everything, this it's been a little while, but um, if you don't follow the news from Germany closely, which I'm sure many of us don't on a regular basis. <laughs> but, but there was a lot of news from Aero. <laughs> there was. Um, and, and really, I just think it puts it in stark terms about how much they're innovating over there, especially in terms of electric aircraft. You and I have talked about this quite a few times on the podcast, Ian, and it was totally electric innovation type Aero show this year. I was very impressed with that. Tom Horn was there for us, mm-hmm. and he reported on just a whole bunch of different initiatives that show there's a lot of movement in the electric part of the aviation industry. Yeah, so you know the rules seem to be a little bit more conducive over there to electric, or at least to being open to electric. And so I think you're seeing a lot more proof of concept stuff, everything from straight electric to electric hybrid. Uh, and I think really the everything. hybrid might have the, the best chance of all. Because yeah. that way you can get started on electric, have uh, another type of motor kick in, and then uh, continue your aviation journey on, on you know, more, of a, more or less a traditional motor. Yeah. Or, or have both. Like, you know, you drive a Prius still, right? Yeah. And so sometimes you have both uh, the battery power and the uh, and the gas power going if you need extra oomph. Yeah, that's like right. Like for takeoffs. That's right. Yeah. 
<laughs> take off in the Prius. <laughs> I told you I, I, spun, so. I spun the tires in my bad boy Prius <laughs> when I had one. Um, so they really range there at, at the show. It's pretty interesting. Everything from, I, I love the, the flying saucer. Uh, uh, that thing will not, I, no. I will predict it has a snowball's chance in, you know what? No, you don't think that one's going to make it? Never. What was it, the two 450 horsepower engines or something like that? Tom Horn had it. was so funny. He said that there was a, a plastic card holder there for folks to put their business cards into, and only one card was in the holder. Oh, that's kind of sad. Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting concept, yeah. but I think it's too heavy and you would need too much power. Yeah. The, the basics of logistics say that it just it's going to be tough to make that happen. Yeah, but in terms of, and that's on the VTOL side, which a lot of electric is, but right. you know, the more pure electric, um, you know, you went from that, which is straight up, you know, somebody built it in their garage off of a napkin drawing right. to Pipistrol, the Alpha Electro, which is yeah, they're I mean, flying legit. Yeah, they're flying out out west. There's uh, there's like four of them that are flying around in the Fresno area, mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking about this a little while ago, right before the podcast. And some instructors are are getting up to speed on those aircraft, and and I think there's some good opportunity for students to use those one day. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, if you ever get a chance, you can go to the AOPA website and just search Pipistrol. Um, it's uh, Tom Horn actually flew this a couple of years ago, went out to uh, Slovenia, I think it was, and, and flew it. And he was, uh, I mean, it's it's the real deal. It flies for an hour, which when you're talking about a flight school operation is enough usually if you're hitting yeah. the pattern. Do some takeoffs and landings. And this is a high wing, uh, two person, you know, type yeah. aircraft. Yeah, so it looks like your typical good, LSA. Good for training. Yeah. And, and then uh, and Tom was saying that it's, there's basically like just a, like a handful of moving parts mm -hmm. in that engine. Mm -hmm. And uh, that to me is, you know, as a former airplane owner, that's a very appealing situation. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, also, we have good movement. Um, we reported earlier on Siemens and the Magnum. Uh, in the E-Fusion aircraft that mm -hmm. they have, mm -hmm. and so those are smaller aircraft that are that are basically built for again, so you know more of a local type range, um, and they're continuing to do some testing on that in Texas. Yeah, that one I think they're looking at a range of engine and I yeah. should say propulsion, sort options. of like a proof of concept, a move up in power and move up in speed and move yeah. up in distance. Yeah, pretty yeah. neat stuff. And, yeah, really neat I like stuff. It. And uh, what's the one that has the symbol in the NIX? Oh, yeah, the uh, the Phoenix, although Phoenix. you would never know that uh, unless you, I don't know, what Greek or whatever that is. That's Czech. It's a motor glider. Uh, it's got about a 60-kilowatt electric motor. And this is actually, you know, it's funny. I hadn't really thought about the whole motor glider aspect, but electric right. is perfect for them. Get it up in the air. Yeah, that's all they need. Wave. Yeah, it's just Do the some takeoff. surfing. Yeah. yeah, very cool. So you can imagine <laughs> um, just what a, what a, what a great, sort of fun little machine that would be for the motorbiking yeah. community. I think it would be awesome and it would yeah. be you know one, you know once you get past the, the you know the hurdle of the purchase price I think that you, then your expenses are down to a minimal yeah. yet again. Yeah. That's very true. Well, that was a little costly. Yeah. But uh, probably not as uh, as costly as the research Lang Research GmbH Antares E2. Yeah, the E is it E2 E squared? I don't know. E One squared. Of okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's um. This is a pretty big aircraft. Yeah. Now this one is a more sort of platform. I would say research platform. Right. You know, it's got a seventy-five foot wingspan, a forty-hour endurance. Six hundred and sixty pounds of methanol can be held in two underwing pods. Yeah. So you can see a whole range of like really kind of out there stuff. Very cool stuff. Yeah. Methane-powered fuel cells. Yeah. I wonder where they get the uh, methanol powered. I should say. I wonder yeah. where the methanol comes from. Yeah, I don't know. That's down not the gas station. You can't go down and get that. It's not an agricultural byproduct. Yeah. That's methane, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, all right, so let's move on. Uh, some sad news. Richard Collins, who no doubt many listeners have read uh, over the years, passed away uh, just the, over the past couple of days, April 29th. And um, Richard spent some time at AOPA, known primarily for uh, two things, Airfax, which um, his dad right, Airfax uh, was Journal, obviously an integral part of, and then also Flying Magazine. Yeah, and also uh, Sporties, who actually hosts our, our Hangar Talk podcast, they have a, a long and extensive relationship with Dick Collins. And I remember you know, the Airfax videos that I got when I was a, a pilot-to-be. And, uh, you know, I felt like I knew uh, Dick. I never did meet him, but I felt like that he had this personal touch and he really connected with his audience yeah. uh, through his writings and also through his videos. And I was just, you know, that Cessna 210, that pressurized 210, what an awesome moving machine. Yeah. You know, the, he took some flack for that because when it came time for him to retire and, uh, and hang up flying, he decided actually to junk it instead of selling it because he felt like he was worried about that the airplane was a little too much for maybe somebody or too much to maintain. And, and uh, some really? people, that was a bit of a controversial decision uh, for some folks. I did not know that. Yeah, but he decided uh, not to sell it, actually. So Now, now you, ha- you met him a little bit here at uh, AOPA. I'm putting you on the spot. And yeah. you told me that, uh, that when you were a young pup, your paths crossed. <laughs> Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, he it's it's funny. You know, he lived, actually, he spent a couple of years at AOPA uh, back in the late 80s. And so he, he never left the area. He lived he lived near Frederick. And he invited me out to lunch one day when uh, when I just started AOPA. And uh, just a very nice, generous guy. He reached out to yeah. me um, and just to make the introduction. And it's funny because I think I, I think he would he probably wouldn't say this because uh, he was a gentleman, but I, I think I may have offended him a little bit because I, I you know how he so had, well he had uh, <laughs> invited me and I was and I I sort of insisted on paying and I and he shut that down and was like nope this is my treat and you know so I think <laughs> oh I don't know I don't know hopefully I didn't make him too mad were but, you mopping um, the floors after that no I was. He was very gracious. Um, great to talk to. Really enjoyed spending time with him. Just a little bit that I did get to, but obviously lots of folks yeah. here at AOPA and others uh, did work f- uh, with him or for him over the years. Widely, and- he was widely known as he was really a, a safety aficionado, a safety mm-hmm. expert, mm-hmm. and uh, and just widely remembered for you know coaching so many. I would say thousands of people. Oh in yeah. the air. I always think of him as. Um, having great insight into single pilot IFR. That yeah. that was kind of his wheelhouse in a way that was really unique and, and thought-provoking and really, really interesting writer and great guy. Yeah, and then there's one more aviation death I was going to bring out uh, just uh, briefly. Um, aerobatic pilot and jazz musician uh, Elgin Wells, who is widely known in the southeast and especially in the Atlanta area, um, he had this aircraft called the Star Jammer, which was uh, all lit up with LEDs and programmed to some pretty heavy-duty music. He passed away in an aircraft crash in China. He was preparing for an air show, so uh, we're sorry to hear about that as well. Yeah, and you were showing me some videos before we went on, and I got to say, just a <laughs> I'd never seen his act, but so cool and just original. And yeah, um, he built that aircraft. Yeah, so it's a it was a one design. Dave Hirschman uh, knew him. Yeah. Dave was coming up in the ranks of the aerobatic world and. Uh, in Atlanta in that time, and, and uh, Elgin Wells is, and Dave's paths crossed. Yeah. And uh, and Elgin will be remembered for the, uh, the 316 Glider Club that he was a member of. Hmm. That uh, Highway 316, which is adjacent to the Briscoe Airport, hmm. if you lost an engine and you landed on the highway, well, he established that club. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> not Hirschman, but oh, Elgin. Yeah. Oh, that's Elgin funny. Wells and Elgin Wells Jr. His dad also was a pilot. They both were named Elgin Wells. Huh. So yeah, go on YouTube, uh, search Elgin Wells, and you'll see it's a it's a great show, entertaining and really creative. Yeah. So, sorry to lose him. Okay, so uh, we uh, we tease this a little bit in the intro. I want to talk a, a little bit about border crossings. This is not something we talk about often. Right. I don't know if have you ever flown internationally, David? Have you flown to I have, Mexico? I have I've flown internationally commercial, not yeah. as a general aviation pilot. I know okay. you've crossed the border and you've gone to, to Cuba, I know yeah. for sure. Yeah. Have you also been to Canada Canada? Well, you know what? I take it back. I have been and not as a pilot in command, but I was on the crew uh, when I uh, crossed through Canada on the way to Alaska. Okay. Okay. But I don't think we stopped. Oh, okay. You did the overflight. You had yeah, the range. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've done Canada and I've uh, and I've done the Bahamas and universally it's a bit of a pain, I will say. Yeah, even though things have we've tried to and AAPA has advocated to try to simplify things in the past few years. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a bit of a pain. And you know, so th- there's a there's many, many, many issues for folks who have done this, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's everything from Filing EAPIS to having to call 15 minutes to, you know, and give them a 15-minute window, I should say. Uh-huh. And, and you have to make that time, too. So you really yes. better be good on your flight planning. Yes. And, and so take headwinds in consideration and everything else. Yeah, that's right. Or you have to figure out a way to update them, which is through ATC. And it just gets to be very complicated. And so um, you mentioned, I mean, AOP has been pushing for years to make this process just easier on pilots, more efficient. I mean, we want to comply, but sometimes right. it's really difficult. The Customs and Border Protection Agency... I mean, I would think that they would want to keep the border secure, but yet still be open to some newfangled technology. Yeah, well, it's funny because I was just talking to them, and they they about a different story, and they say part of their mission is to facilitate commerce, and so that's right. They you know they want to keep you going, and so especially for folks who are operating remotely, so remote areas of Canada and and the U.S. trying to cross back and forth. Yeah, um, it's very difficult, and so they're starting a, a pilot program. This summer, uh, Crane Lake and Scott Seaplane Base, where they're uh-huh. going to have this, and apparently boaters have had this for years, which I, I didn't know. Oh. Uh, it's called Reporting Offsite Arrival Mobile App, or ROAM. Oh, I love the acronym. Yeah, the ROAM app. And so it's a way to clear customs by video conference. That's cool. Yeah. And so that'll that'll help uh, facilitate these kind of things. And you brought something up that's kind of important, Ian, for us to, to consider, is that you know we're talking about some remote areas. We're not talking about... You know, okay, Toronto and Detroit, I get it. Yeah. That's easy. But uh, there are, there's a lot of Canada that's pretty darn remote up yeah. near the Rockies and all. Yeah, and for folks coming back, I mean, you can be a long time between fuel stops. It can be really difficult. And so this Rome app is supposed to make it a little bit easier. You still have to do EAPIS. Uh-huh. Um, and but but you can use the app basically to clear once you uh, once you arrive back in the states. And so initially, this is going to be just for seaplane pilots. Uh-huh. And they're going to start in Minnesota yes. to keep it small, but see if it works. Yeah, the hope is if this works, we can start. We'll start to see this, you know, push its tentacles out in and, other places. And you use an app on a cell phone or a tablet to yep. get it going. That's right. Okay. Well, and and uh, hopefully there's good wireless coverage up there, cell phone coverage, and yeah. so that f- will facilitate that that operation. Yeah. I, I look forward to hearing more about it as a as a seaplane pilot and as a new member of the Seaplane Pilots Association. Right on. I'm doubly curious about this. Right on. Right on. <laughs> um, okay. So hey, talk about making life easier. The FAA. Um, has in their decided, in their infinite wisdom. Yes. Finally. Yes. Has decided. Um, well, let's put it this way. 
How, I mean, you go around to all these different airports. Do you see complex airplanes at flight schools anymore? You don't see very many of me. And I yeah. had one in Atlanta, Mooney, and I did actually have it on the flight line uh, for that reason, so that advanced students could use my Mooney for their complex uh, rating. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was hoping that they would get some use, and it did. It got yeah. a lot of use. Yeah. And this is what kind of is, is what leading uh, the, the amount of use that airplane that airplane got, plus your Piper Arrows of the world, your RG-172s, is kind of you know leading to this new change. And what is the new change? Yeah. So if you're going for a, a commercial pilot certificate or a CFI, you actually have to not just get the experience and get the endorsement to fly complex aircraft. You actually have to furnish it for the test. You have to bring a, a complex aircraft to the table. That's right. For your exam. That's right. So the change is not anymore. And the reason it's not anymore is that, like we were just alluding to, there aren't that many of them in the aviation world right now. Yeah. And the ones that are out there are seeing a whole lot of use. And so really it might be a safety factor that might be involved with this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, some of these are getting older. Um, You know, Riddle recently had the accident with the presumed, we'll see, presumed structural failure. Um, and that was with a uh, Piper Arrow. Yep. That was uh, on the flight line and, you know, assumably well-maintained mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at Embry-Riddle. And that happened in April. Yeah. Yep. So this just came out. Um, so check out the website. Make sure that you've got, in terms of the dates and stuff, that you're still complying with what you need to do. Um, it all it lays it all out. But I think this is going to make life a lot easier for a lot of folks. It should. It should bring the cost down as well because, assumably, you could use uh, something like a Cessna 172 or Piper Archer, uh, whatever you have, as long as you've already dotted the I's, crossed the T's, you know, passed uh, the written portion of your test, and actually have the documentation of the maneuvers already in your logbook. Yeah. So we're just, just talking about taking the exam. Yeah, that's you don't, right. You don't need a complex aircraft anymore for that, and it's brand new. So there'll be a, a brand new commercial pilot airman certificate standards and assumably a new book from ASA. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That. That's true. Um, all right. So good news after a last minute sort of jostling that hopefully you heard about through our various media channels. The uh, kerfuffle the, uh, at, the, the, at, at the house. <laughs> the infamous kerfuffle. Um, reauthorization, the money that goes to the FAA that funds it, that sets out its priorities, it's passed. It has. passed Thank without goodness. privatization. Without the onerous uh, or onerous, however you pronounce it, so-called ATC privatization. What I'd like to do is uh, uh, put a quick thank you out to the AOPA members and others in the aviation community for quickly organizing and mobilizing after word came out that um, the outgoing Representative Schuster had tacked on this uh, sort of like a ATC giveaway uh, onto the reauthorization bill. It did not go through, and uh, that was a direct result of so many people calling. Uh, we put that story in the, the e-brief that folks could get online, mm-hmm. and, I mean, there was rapid response, thankfully. Yeah, that's right. Uh, some of the stuff that did make it through, um, aircraft registration, you know, the renewal, it's been three years, going to 10. That's good. Also saving money. Yep. Right. Um Aeronautical use of hangars. So, you know, that was an issue with people building experimentals in their hangars. Yeah, a lot of some airports were kind of against that and mm-hmm. they were saying that's not the proper use of a hangar. Mm-hmm. But now you can do that yep. officially. Yep. And another one that I think is seems like a minor issue, but can be critical. You know, we've now that we have all these government shutdowns, um, 
we there's a provision in the bill that will keep the aircraft registry open during a government shutdown. So to me, that's a really cool thing. You know, it's a little bit buried in there, but like, assumably, say Piper or Cessna or Cirrus makes aircrafts, they're getting ready to be registered, but there's a shutdown prior to the passage of the FAA reauth bill, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you've got aircraft on, they potentially could be on the flight line, but they can't because they wouldn't be able to be registered. Yeah. Yeah. So you, that, can't, you can't make any of those deals because so you can't do that. That's you know, the not a hindrance anymore. Or, yeah. That's right. Or if you, what, what if you bought and sold a used aircraft? Yeah. Exactly. That's so, exactly right. So that takes that hindrance away. That's really good. And then um, there's one other thing I was going to uh, mention is that, and AOP has been working really hard for this which is um, the bill also calls for the FAA to work with with federal security agencies about recommended alternative security procedures at some of these airports in New Jersey and Florida, Mm. where President Trump often goes to and from because of the economic uh, disadvantages of of the presidential TFRs, which, you know, pretty tough to yeah. deal with our flight schools and, and other folks. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, I think, you know, if it doesn't impact you, um, that's that's great. Uh, consider yourself lucky. But for those people who live in that area, that's a huge inconvenience. It is because a lot of times the um, the Florida TFRs come about right when the weather turns and when a lot of folks are trying to get a lot of flight lessons. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of flight schools in Florida. Mm-hmm. So, And there's a lot of commerce up in uh, New Jersey on the eastern shore as well. So it's good to see that that that's uh, something that might change on, in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great. So, David, uh, William Ampofo, I'm really I'm fascinated to hear his take. I mean, if you're talking about the future of airline flying, who's going to fly these things, who's going to maintain them, uh, how they come up with these forecasts, and uh, basically what the, what the future of commercial air traffic looks like, it's like, this is the guy. I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that from William Ampofo. He was so nice to, uh, to give us his time. He's very generous via Skype. And, um, and like I said earlier at the top of the podcast, that we're going to have a little something on this that not other, not other folks might have. He's going to tell us a little bit about how they do that aviation jobs forecast. I'd like to welcome to uh, AOPA's Hangar Talk podcast, uh, Boeing's Vice President of Business Aviation, General Aviation, and and Boeing Global Services, William Ampofo. How are you today? I'm doing well, David. Thanks for joining us on Hangar Talk, William. Listen, I hope I didn't chop up our uh, the uh, intro of your title. Tell us again what you do for Boeing. No, no, you didn't chop it up. my uh, my responsibilities lie within the business and general aviation uh, domain for our Boeing Global Services business. And Boeing Global Services is the third and newest uh, division of the Boeing company uh, that we stood up in July of 2017. And one of our uh, areas of focus uh, of our four businesses, we've got commercial, defense, international services, and business and general aviation and I'm the uh, the leader for that, uh, responsible for the growth of the business. And uh, as we're putting a renewed focus on uh, business aviation and general aviation, uh, my team is really centered around growing our 
our customer base and developing new and tailored solutions to, to serve this market. Well, I appreciate you explaining that. Now, you and I met briefly at uh, AirVenture last year. You might not remember that, but that's when um, I said hello, and that was right after you delivered the uh, helped deliver the Boeing jobs forecast, which is what we want to talk a little bit about today. But before we go into that, I want to ask you, William, how did you begin your aviation career? How did you get started in aviation? Well, you know, it's a, it's a it's an interesting question. You know, I started my career you know, about 25 years ago now, but when I was a an intern in undergrad, I uh, interned at United Technologies Corporation. So the summers when I'd come home for school, I, I did that. And uh, after graduating, uh, my first uh, job out of school was with Pratt Whitney, uh, jet engine manufacturer. So uh, that's one of the divisions of United Technologies. So I started my career there and spent about 14 years there and 22 years in total at United Technologies. But I went from Pratt Whitney to the Sikorsky Helicopter Division, uh, spent some time at corporate headquarters. And prior to joining Boeing, uh, I worked in the UTC Aerospace Systems Business Unit, which was the combination of uh, former Hamilton Sunstrand and Goodrich Aerospace. So it's been my entire career, and it's been a it's been a great ride. So now you uh, uh, were working for United Technologies. Now, are you? All, I didn't ask you this before the Skype conversation, but are you also a general aviation pilot? And, and sort of, what's your general aviation background? Uh, I am not a general aviation pilot, although I am. Uh, since I've taken this job, uh, I am looking to uh, work towards that uh, for sure. But I do have uh, members of my family that, that have been pilots in the past. My uh, One of my younger brothers, who actually used to work at AOPA, is a pilot as well. So uh, it's in my blood and uh, something that uh, I'm, I'm going to be looking to work towards as well on an individual level. Well, you know, we can help you with that, William. So you just let us know. <laughs> so um, speaking of careers, and that's one reason why, that's the main reason why we called, really, is to talk a little bit about aviation careers. And you gave us a little background on, on your career Uh, getting started on that side of things. Now, thinking about young people, because we're all about science, technology, engineering, and math and and the wave of the future, what would you think would be some good aviation career choices for young people that are considering their future? And these are, you know, for folks who might consider being a lawyer or doctor or an aviator. Yeah, you know, that's that's another great question. You know, I'll tell you uh, from a Boeing perspective, you know, we've uh, maintained a focus on you know, STEM education, you know, and we're committed to inspiring and, you know, preparing the next generation of innovators through through our investments and partnerships. And, you know, we do a lot of volunteerism activity uh, here at Boeing, inclusive of uh, working with some of the local high schools and, and nationally, candidly, in the environments in which we, we do business. And I'll tell you, you know, math and science is certainly uh, a good foundation for getting into the aviation industry. And, as a, as a career choice in terms of getting the foundational elements from study, uh, I think that's a good way to, to kind of get some of the foundational elements. But if you look at our uh, 2016 edition of Flying Magazine, you know, aviation maintenance technicians, the airline pilots, and, you know, the aviation safety inspectors, all of these are, are specializations that are needing talent. So that's something that we're, we're trying to focus on. Right, right. And in fact, the jobs forecast for last year, I think, seemed to indicate 
that the industry was looking at as far as maintenance technicians, looking at about 630,000 some odd folks in the uh, aviation maintenance industry within the next 20 years. And if I'm not incorrect with my figures, there's a little bit more than that as far as pilots, 646 or 640 some odd thousand possible pilots within the next 20 years. And so you, I know that you're, you guys are hard at work trying to get that jobs forecast together for this summer. With autonomy and things like that coming out, what do you see the future looking like? Well, I think, you know, autonomy is, you know, cutting edge, right? And, and you know, as, as you know, technology goes through various iterations and cycles of maturity. So although that's under development now, I, you know, I think the traditional flight with, you know, the aircraft that we're producing and, and some of our competitors and some of our customers, candidly, Uh, I think there's a strong pull for that, you know, so I think that these specialized skill sets in a traditional sense uh, are still going to be in in strong demand. You know, as you as you as I mentioned and you restated our outlook, you know, identifies, you know, the the strong uh, demand for commercial aircraft pilots. I think that's something that we as a Boeing company through our training and professional services organization are going to try to help facilitate and certainly from a training perspective and getting the the pilots uh, ready to serve the airlines because you know we're we're at a at an interesting uh inflection here as we're supplying the aircraft right and we know given our strong demand that you know our customers are going to need pilots to be ready to fly those planes so exactly it's it's i'll tell you it's an exciting uh time to be in aviation it's an exciting time to be at the boeing company and uh as we have an opportunity to reach back into some of our uh you know the next generation i think we certainly have a compelling story to tell well uh, you brought uh, you brought something up that i want to just jump into real quick so with all that demand for aircraft let's say you know how does boeing assist customers that are looking for pilots i mean we do have a, a pilot shortage looming uh here on the horizon so i mean do y'all assist customers and if so how how do you match people up with aircraft well i'd say in addition you know you know boeing offers uh, the pilot development program which is an accelerated training program to guide pilots from the the early stage ab initio training through type rating uh, and as a, a first officer for, for commercial jet operations. So I think that's truly foundational. And if you look at the life cycle of development for pilots, you know, we're certainly on the foundation on the forefront of that. All right. That sounds sounds good. So a little bit of an assist from Boeing, because, I mean, let's face it, we want to have pilots flying the aircraft. You guys are still making a ton of aircraft, yeah. and yeah. They're, in, they're in high demand. And the traveling public is traveling more, more frequently, and more people are traveling. Yeah. And also, um, and we found at, at the Jobs Outlook last year, we found that, uh, I believe you said that there's some emerging markets in Asia and the Middle East that are starting to whet their appetite for travel. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, before I do that, I, I just want to make one other point regarding, uh, you know, Boeing. You know, we're also partnering with customers and governments and educational institutions to, to ensure that the market is prepared to, to meet the, you know, the unprecedented training demand over the next 20 years. So, you know, when we talk about our training facilities and where we're training, it's, a, it's truly a global footprint that we have. So it's, it's North America, it's Europe, it's Asia and EMEA. And, and that really leads into to the question that you just, the recent question you just asked, and I'll tell you, as we look at emerging markets, there's a, this phenomenon called urbanization. So as 
you know, some of the emerging markets are starting to create more wealth. There's more wealth generation. Uh, you're having individuals that are, are, are going to be more willing and able to fly. So if you look at where we're delivering our aircraft, they're in some of these emerging markets. So as we do that, we've got to certainly help facilitate those customers that we're selling aircraft to, making sure that there's a strong pipeline for pilots. And we're doing any, any and everything that we can to make sure that we are uh, helping to, to, to facilitate that through our training program. Gotcha. And now I know, now jumping back and forth a little bit, I know that, that Boeing is a real strong believer uh, in the science, technology, engineering, and math for young people. And you guys have a lot of programs that do reach out to younger folks, and, and including uh, high school, middle school, and college students. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I was just trying to find it on y'all's website. Uh, maybe we can come to it a little bit. But I wonder if there's a place on the Boeing uh, website that folks could turn to that might be interested in this type of, of educational resources. Do you know? Yes, and, and that's a great question as well. And uh, we certainly have that on our website, uh, boeing.com. Just to give you some illustrative examples, you know, the Boeing Academy for STEM was launched back in July of 2015. And, you know, it was made possible by a, you know, a joint $30 million investment from the Boeing company, as well as Bill and, and June Boeing. So, you know, this is, this is the world's largest educational department across all of Air and Space Museums. So as we look along with the Museum of Flight, uh, the, this, this academy offers a, you know, a wide variety of unique programs for educators and students in grades K through 12 and college. Exactly. And, and you know what, I'll just throw in right, right now for our podcast listeners, I, I, I could direct them to the site, boeing.com slash principles slash education, and they'll find a lot of educational resources on there for younger people all the way up through, I think, the college level. There's folks that are, folks that are really, you know, headed towards that business environment that we started our conversation uh, talking about. Yeah, absolutely, and th- and thanks for that, David. And and th- as you'll find on that site, it's just fairly robust and kind of outlining our charter and uh, examples of how we've uh, contributed to uh, helping to support more than you know 1,200 students uh, in their chosen field of study through these you know academic scholarships. So you know we're 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 making investments uh, in the community and and as well as these young people. Uh, to help, uh, you know, pull them towards the, the aviation industry. Perfect. Now I'm going to um, circle back around a little bit and talk about the aviation jobs market uh, real quick. Um, a couple of things have, have happened in the last year or so that has, has really changed the market for folks who are considered career aviators. Uh, one of the things I noticed is that some of the regional air carriers are, they've initiated some signing bonuses and a lot of different pay incentives. Are there other trends that you see that are affecting that aviation jobs market besides, uh, besides those things? There are a number of trends currently affecting, you know, the aviation job market. You know, the, the need for jobs in, in our 20-year outlook, as I highlighted, you know, the skills are at a shortage worldwide, right? So if you look at baby boomer pilots, mechanics, and others, you know, they're retiring and taking their skills and, and knowledge along with them uh, and away from the industry. So there's an emphasis on cr- increasing the number of women in the aviation industry, right. you know, through programs aimed at attracting, retaining, and promoting women. And we take that very seriously from a diversity and inclusion perspective. You know, organizations uh, include uh, international Aviation Women's Association, you know, Women in Aviation International, and the Institute for Women in Aviation Worldwide. Also, to deal with the the pilot shortage, you know, many airlines are offering 
uh, as you say, the new bonus packages and signing bonuses to attract new pilots, as well as incentives to keep their current pilots. From my perspective, you know, this can, you know, include some carryover longevity, direct entry captain programs and, you know, partnerships with bigger airlines for accelerated career paths. So I think, you know, given the magnitude of the shortage that we're staring into, we as an industry have to be extremely creative and do some things that probably traditionally we haven't done in the past. Well, that's a, that's a real interesting insight and actually leads me to another uh, question that just popped into my mind. With all the students that are graduating from uh, some of the bigger colleges here in the States, we know about Embry-Riddle, uh, Western Michigan, University of North Dakota, and a lot more colleges. Liberty University is actually close to to AOPA headquarters here. Are there enough pilots and mechanics that are going through these schools to, to fill the ranks? You know, I, I can't, you know, speak to that specifically uh, on the numbers, to be honest with you, David. But what I, what I will say is there is certainly some capacity within those universities. And that's why from a feedership perspective, we're putting a lot of emphasis on uh, grade school and high school age students to make sure that we are Uh, opening their eyes to potential opportunities that are out there for them within aviation. And, uh, you know, that's the role that we we feel that we we have to play here. And some of those universities that you mentioned, we certainly partner with. uh, And in some cases, they're customers of ours uh, with respect to some of the uh, the offerings that we provide to them to support their flight schools. Right. Uh, So, yeah, you know, it, it's it's a very incestuous uh, industry, and I think we're all feeling and seeing the need to make sure that we've got a healthy pipeline of talent to come from the next generation. Well, that, that makes sense, and that's a good point. Um, again, for our podcast listeners, uh, boeing.com slash principals slash university relations, that page shows uh, folks uh, uh, several of the programs that you guys have, including internships, externships, and other enrichment programs. It's a, it's a very, very rich wealth of information here for, for potential aviators in the future. And, and we're talking, you know, girls, guys, uh, you know, really need to fill the ranks all around. Let me ask you a real quick question. If you can't answer this, that's okay, because I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to give you advance warning. So without disclosing any secrets, like how do you put together that Boeing job outlook? That seems like a pretty daunting task, and a lot rides on it. Can you give us a little bit of the 411? We get this question a lot, and you know we, we are often viewed as the preeminent source of, of this data because we release it every year. The pilot and technician outlook, or what we refer to as our PTO, it really represents the global demand forecast for pilots, right? Technicians, cabin crew, based on the future fleet growth projections over the next 20 years. So when we look at that 20-year demand, it's really derived uh, on the fleet growth forecasted in Boeing's current market outlook. So we look at our current mar- market outlook and marry that with this demand. And based on on this fleet growth, you know, the, the detailed aircraft utilization, attrition rates, and regional differences in crew specific to certain aircraft type, the PTO estimates the number of technicians, pilots, and, and crew needed worldwide. So we've kind of uh, it's, it's a little bit of art and science, but uh, it's certainly 
is reared in, in some fact-based data and some projective analytics that we've mastered over the years. Yeah, I'll bet. I know a lot goes into it and a lot rides on it, but thank you for that insight. That really helps. So um, uh, folks that are interested in aviation careers, really one thing that a lot of people don't think about, William, I found out is that you know, it also encompasses aviation careers could encompass manufacturing, information technology, besides engineering and uh, and aeronautics. But there there are business folks uh, that are involved in aviation. I mean, go to any airport and you could buy anything from headsets for your for your phone to uh, dinner. So so really, there are, there are a lot of options out there besides just pilots and mechanics and cabin crew members who uh, you guys also said uh, there's a, a, a huge need for that as well. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's a good thing about aviation. You know, people uh, look at the industry and, you know, you think of the physical product, you know, airplanes, but there's a whole uh, network that is, is behind the scenes and, and in, in the forefront in some cases that support this, this growing industry. Aviation, if you look at it, you know, 25, 30 years ago, and the evolution of uh, the products and offerings that we have, in addition to the emergence of, of some of these uh, international markets, the future is very bright. And uh, I think for those looking at careers in aviation, to your point, the opportunities are, are, are vast and endless as far as I'm concerned. Well, that is a great way to start to wrap up this awesome conversation, William, via Skype. Um, I would just like to, to ask one more question and uh, think about this a little bit. What advice do you have for youth that are attending middle and high school now who might consider an aviation career by the time they get to college? Yeah, so that's another one. So you put me on the spot. So, you know, just view this as William's uh, perspective here. But, you know, I, I think students interested in an aviation career should should establish, you know, a good foundation in science, you know, the STEM, you know, technology, engineering, and math. That certainly would, would serve them well. Uh, additionally, you know, they should conduct, you know, research to discover what's out there, the vast array of jobs in the industry, and find uh, something that connects with them and, and their passion and what they like to do. And then the third thing I would probably say is, you know, seek out a mentor in school and, and in the industry for those of you that have access that can help, you know, navigate your career and help you decide on some career choices. Because I'll tell you, the best opportunity is to talk to others that are doing the jobs that you aspire to, understand what they did to get there, mm-hmm. uh, so that you have some perspective. And I think those are all things that, you know, for myself personally, I've, I've also done over the years as I decided where to take my career. That is great advice, William. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that we didn't discuss that you wanted to let folks know about? No, I thought this was a great opportunity. I, I appreciate uh, you inviting me to participate, you know, and following up to our initial meeting at EAA uh, last year. The only thing that I would leave the listeners with today is that uh, you should all be extremely, extremely excited about the future of aviation. I don't know if you follow the news and look at, you know, where we're, where we're going as a Boeing company, but, the you know, we had a record year last year in terms of our aircraft orders and deliveries. And uh, I think uh, the future is bright. And, you know, the biggest challenge that we have is keeping up with the demand. And uh, that's a good problem to have. That is a good problem to have. I'll echo your sentiments on that, William. William uh, Ampofo, Vice President of Business Aviation, General Aviation for Boeing Global Services. It has been an extreme pleasure for you to join us here via Skype on uh, our Hangar Talk podcast. 
and we will chat again. And uh, hopefully I will see you at uh, this July's Air Venture in Wisconsin. Thank you very much, David. Take care. All right. Thanks again. All right, David, that's, uh, that's a great talk. I'm glad they're the ones doing the forecast and not me because uh, that stuff is... <laughs> it's, it's high. Oh, man. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of calculations involved in that as well. But he was so encouraging about young people you know, who are pursuing math and science, and they really STEM concepts and STEM, STEM learning. Uh, he's very encouraging that, that aviation is the way to go for so many people, and he said he was downright excited about the future. That's great. Okay, hey, I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Look, you can catch us at aopa.org slash hangertalk. You can find us at the Sporty's Takeoff app, and we're now on iTunes. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangertalk from AOPA, your freedom to fly. <laughs>